welcome back to the HFW Shop Talk podcast. This is episode 15. Today we have Jaden Coletta with us. Jaden, thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, so in keeping with the theme we've had, we kind of have tried to bounce back and forth between having one of our more experienced guys on here and one of our younger guys. Uh, Jaden certainly follows a uh, younger guy track being how old are you, 18? So, yeah, definitely younger. Uh, I think it's interesting to hear the juxtaposition. You know, we talked to guys like Rich or Peter Sanasiro. Uh, now to have uh, Jaden on, and along with the other young guys that we've had on, it's definitely interesting to see the difference of perspective, but then also the, the things that are, the I, I guess, the common thread between someone uh, who's 18 or early in their career and someone who's uh, more senior and, and on the other side. So, Jaden, um, I guess to start, can you give someone the elevator pitch of who Jaden Coletta is, um, how you got to where you are today, what your upbringing was like, and things like that? Well, who I am might be difficult, but <laughs> uh, I'm kind of everywhere. So I won't go too much into how I was brought up, because I'll be honest, it's, it's pretty boring. <laughs> I was raised by a single mother. My father left when, uh, when I was about eight years old. He suffered severe PTSD from serving two tours in Operation Iraqi Freedom Unit. So he didn't get along too great with my mom afterwards, caused him to split. It is what it is. Uh, after that point, I did a lot of solitude in my room with Legos. <laughs> I built a lot. I don't even remember what. The only thing I remember is this weird gun I thought was an alien gun. And honestly, that was the extent of it. I was really proud of it, and I ran to my cousin's house to show him. And I think he showed me the guns he made out of paper. <laughs> it was just, just silly stuff. Then eventually, at around the age of 11, I got what I believe was called a Navi tablet for children. Yeah. Immediately found out how to get into the adult side of it. <laughs> Jailbroke it, and for lack of better terms, and just watched lots of YouTube on all sorts of things. I was younger. I liked games, like video games. I used to play them with my father before he left, so I had that in my head. I loved guns because I had shotguns since I was like three and a half years old, again, taught by my father. So it's something that left with him because my mom wasn't trusting of him. Probably the correlation <laughs> to building the guns out of Legos and stuff like that. But I watched a lot of games, mostly FPSs because I liked shooter games. And then the other main demographic I watched was people making stuff in their home garage. <laughs> I always thought it was really, really cool, people making things in their home garage. That basically took me all the way through middle school and high school. I went to school, and then I went home, and I learned in my own time on the internet. So nobody believed anything I ever said, <laughs> even though I did a ridiculous amount of research using all the methods I was taught in school to deduce whether an article is or is not believable. <laughs> and then I would even follow that article's resources to, to <laughs> discern if they were or were not believable. Nowadays, I don't really go as far because I have less time. But <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I, th I think it's it's that's something that's interesting. There's a lot of conversation about how kids back in you know the 60s and 70s and 80s they were outside a lot and kind of had more room to roam. Uh, there was less. You know, the helicopter parents weren't really as much of a thing until uh, you have more modern technology and more involvement in schools. But it's almost like you have that 
that free range kind of thing on the internet now, which is obviously can be very bad. Um, but you know, you I, I I've heard several people describe what you just said as well, where you just kind of learned and explored and and kind of found things that seem like they're now your passion through yeah. kind of your teen years. Kind of stumbled my way around until I found one thing that kind of jumps out like a well, and I think that's the other thing too that when we talk about formal education, I hear so many entrepreneurs and blue collar people and people that don't have necessarily didn't go to Harvard or something like that who say, you know, all this education is available for free or for very little online. I actually listened to full Harvard classes on YouTube. I listened to two hour lecture sets and classes on um, business and entrepreneurship on how to find powder mill products, sell, how to come up with product ideas and stuff like that. Well, that was funny about you. You came in, I think it was like a couple weeks in, you had suggestions. You're like, oh, if you want to boost profit, you should consider this. And it was, I just, uh, <laughs> I was amazed that an 18 year old's brain is wired like that because um, I'm not much older than you, but when I was 18, I'm not sure I was thinking that way either. So I just always thought everybody else was born and <laughs> didn't care for what they did. Everybody my age, they want to go out and drink and party. And I guess there's a little bit of fun in that, but I just never was my world. Yeah. Oh, I'm right there with you. Um, so, I, I mean, that kind of leads into the, n- the next question I was thinking, which you answered a little bit. Um, <coughs> how, d- how did you first discover machining? Was it those videos watching people? It was. Um, I... Something I'm realizing I'm kind of proud of is I'm first-generation machinist. Everybody always asks me how I found it, and if it was my father or my grandpa or whatever. No, my father, I respect what he did for the country, but he wasn't a huge part of my life. My grandfather also wasn't a huge part of my life. He was my replacement father for two or three years. He died while I was in high school. Mm. So I... The way I look at it, my father died because in it becomes interesting with stepfathers because my mom's still a Phillips. So it's hard to explain to them because they <laughs> don't even want that role, but let's not get into that. Um, I think it's something kind of cool to be able to say that I'm a first-generation machinist because not only does it mean I'm figuring everything out for myself on my in my own way and through my own means, but also it makes me more proud of what I have achieved because I'm starting to get to the point here in this company where every once in a while people will tell me that they think I need to get my A's, but I'm doing a really good job. Mm-hmm. And that makes me feel good because not only am I doing a good job, but I'm doing a good job compared to people who have had figures to show them they can do stuff at. Mentors, mm-hmm. really, mentors. Yeah. And it's kind of cool to be able to say that I've done that without them. Mm-hmm. It just a different world in a sense i've kind of walked my whole life <laughs> in a different world than everybody else and it's interesting to see where it takes us yeah that's really interesting do you feel like now when you come in and there's like we we're just talking about this guy like fred or even peter um do you feel like there you have models at work now or what what's your process been as you transition into those things when i look at the machinists on the floor with me most of the time, I see them, and I go, I respect that guy because I can tell he knows what he's doing, and he's good at his job. Mm-hmm. 
after that point, if I'm on 196 and it seems like that guy's friendly with me, I try to go up to him and I try to talk to him and ask him questions. I try to do a little bit of asking about work and what he's working on. I try to do a little bit of talking about what I have worked on. And I try to do enough uh, just regular talk to keep my – not that I'm just telling everyone what's going to go on because I'm pretty knowledge. Mm -hmm. Something I've realized is I have a bad tendency to just – very be very focused on I want to learn this or I want to know this and it makes me come off in a, in a way that's not very good in other people's eyes mm. something I've been trying to get better about here so I'm trying not to only focus on what I'm doing here in the shop but also just the person Yeah. so when I see that person I want to go up to them and I want to learn from them because I know they have experience I know they've been here for X amount of years because they're good at their job so I want to learn from them because they have to have something useful for me but I want them to actually feel like I'm talking to them as a person not the same person I don't see many people here as a mentor but that's just because of the way I've lived with my life I don't really see people as mentors anymore Okay. Yeah. I see people as higher ups and I see people as more or less experience and all that stuff it's just the mentor role is higher for me now <laughs> that makes sense. And then especially in my position, like if I was to get a mentor, in my eyes it would be someone I'm working with all the time. Okay. I worked with Fred a lot for a while, and then I worked with Mike a decent little bit, and now I work with Pete a lot, but I still am just going in between. I'm mm -hmm. one of the few, if not the only guy here in the shop who moves so much I don't really yeah. stick to an immediate supervisor. It's yeah. kind of hard to say who would be a mentor even if I thought I had one. Well, I think that's a compliment to you, though, the fact that you are moving around. They want to get you exposed to all these different areas. I mean, that's what you look at some of the guys now, like Mark. Uh, he did a lot of that. Um, even Rich and some of the grinders and guys like that have moved around a lot, too. And I think that's, you know, they see that capability and you to learn quickly and learn a lot and, and take in a lot and, and help out where it's needed. Um, and I think, uh, as you pr can probably see and we talk about all the time, being a utility player at a, at a place like Bitch's Deli is extremely valuable. Yeah, I think that's – well, that they feel that anyway. <laughs> I know it's true that that's how they look at it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's back up a little bit. You're part of a really great program at BOCES. Um, I'd like to talk about that a little bit because I think there's a lot of perceived conversation online uh, in regards to the trades. People are always talking about trade school and going to trade school. But not all trade schools are – built the same um, and you went to a, a very good program um, can you talk a little bit about that experience and what made that program what it is and, and why it's a national record that's a good question I honestly think the parts that make that program so good is yes it has it gives you access to all the information you could need but something that's interesting in my mind about the way Mr. Conti took it is that well, I don't know from experience because I haven't been in other programs and I <laughs> feel it's different from other programs, is while he's giving you, let's say he's giving you 100% of the information you could need in the machine world, he's only actively teaching you this slightly majority of it, like 60-something percent, let's say, just to throw out a number. Mm -hmm. That allows us, one, to have more machine time. And more machine time means that we have more time to just figure it out for ourselves so we can actually put things together. It's like a, 
let's say trigonometry and math, everybody thinks it's really boring, and that's because it is. <laughs> but the reason it is is because they don't have a connection to me getting to the math. For me, I love math and I hate math because <laughs> there's, I love the part of math that I've made a connection to, and I hate the math that I haven't. I want to equate that to machining world because beads and speeds are really boring if you're not using them to make a pretty piece of metal, mm. right? He gave us all the beads and speeds as formulas, but he didn't make us crunch the numbers a thousand times. I feel like a lot of shop classes are going to make you just do a bunch of formulas. You got to do it for free. And then we went, and if we chose to use that information, it got ingrained in us. Like, I chose to use that information. Anthony chose to use that information. Connor did when he remembered. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just finishing. No harm. Eric did when he started to remember. Anyways, he gave us, he took more the approach of here's the information. Here, I'm going to teach you what I think is the most important information. I'm going to do it a little slower for the people who aren't as quick to learning. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just going to send you out. And the people who are more ambitious are going to do the extra that's going to help them learn. Well, that there's so much value in, in that process. I think the different what I'm hearing you say is that a lot of it was learning by doing. Yeah, he did less, I'm going to cram knowledge in your head, and more, here is access to the knowledge. You can figure it out. Obviously, if we needed help figuring it out, he would do what he could to help us, and he would try to help us understand, and he did a lot of hands-on in the machining area, too, because he didn't want us to die. <laughs> well, that, that's important. But something, looking back on, I'm really happy he did, is he spent less time telling us knowledge and more time giving us access to a machine to practice that knowledge. That's so interesting. It's such a great answer. Yeah, something that you said that resonated with me was I kind of had that realization when I was in college. Um, yeah, high school stuff. The best, <laughs> I, well, yeah. the best teachers and professors I had, um, they, did, they didn't force you to learn the you know the straight facts, but they wanted you to apply it. Yeah. And, when, and by doing that, when you applied it, it actually became ingrained almost like subconsciously. And it w I mean, it was a much more valuable way of teaching. I think if we taught, and I think that's probably why you know people talk about well, you have the book skills, you have the you have the background, but you need the on the job experience. The on the job experience is usually what they're usually saying that with that is it's the learning by doing and learning yeah. through you know trial and error and really cool that's why i think most people get it mixed up i don't think it's on the job experience that's required i think that's the most common place to get it the best way i can put it is by using like a saying you always hear uh, the saying knowledge is power mm -hmm. well i want to answer that knowledge is power but it's powerless if you don't understand it <laughs> the reason i put it that way is he could have just given us knowledge 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 but if I never touched a lathe, I don't understand the knowledge enough to really apply it. I can, I can be perfect at doing math with beads and speeds. I can know the exact length of the machinable area of my lathe. I could know the tensile strength of the carbide in the insert. That's not going to make me a good machinist. Yeah. Understanding how those actually apply to making the material into the shape I need is what makes me a good machinist. I need that knowledge, but until I understand that knowledge, it's useless. That's so funny because 
Um, as you might imagine, I'm, I'm a big podcast person. I like podcasts. <laughs> and, and so when you're listening to podcasts, um, particularly the ones I listen to, I guess, there's a lot of talk about, well, to be successful, you need to fail. And, you know, failure is a really important part of the learning process. Yeah. And I think that's um, – I think it's redundant, though. Like, pe- if we or, or it's people are like, "Oh, you need to enjoy the failure," and I don't think you should enjoy it. But there is something when you you know what to expect. You know, like they always talk about um, with machining and even in sports. Like, you need to. And, and Peter's talk taught me this too. Like, as you're running a machine, you start to learn like what it should feel like, yep. and then also what it shouldn't feel like. And then yeah. through that, those years of experience, you learn. Okay, it's this. Is, it shouldn't feel this way, but n- I know how to react to it. And so I, I don't think it's like, I don't. You should never seek failure. Sometimes I think some of these podcasts, are, oh, you should, you know, failure is really important. I don't think you should try to fail. You should always try to succeed. But um, through the the trials and tribulations, you learn. Okay, I've seen this before. I've done this before. How do I react to it? I'd say failure is very important, but I think the reason it's very important is watching how somebody responds to failure and what they get from failure and what they learn from failure tells you more about that person and their adaptability mm-hmm. than any other knowledge. Oh, I completely agree. The reason I say that is because somebody could fail and they go, this is stupid. I don't know why that happened. Yeah. I'm, I'm frustrated. Grr. Or you can go, gosh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> um, what happened? Why? How am I going to change this? What am I going to do different? What did I do that caused this? Why did it cause it? And when I figure that out, what can I do to avoid that? What did I do that caused it? And, you know, there on, there out. Something I've been teasing um, as long as I've known it is the scientific method. Mm-hmm. And while it's a buzzword at this point, there's a lot of good to it. It's like when you reach something – that makes you frustrated or that you don't understand, keep asking questions. And that's something that people are really getting more good <laughs> about because it's just not common in typical socialization. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, my whole life, I've just been fascinated on gaining knowledge, so I've prioritized that over t- <laughs> typical uh, socialization. But like, like I was just putting, if I fail, I'm like, why did this happen? What caused it? What did I do? What can I change? And I just basically keep on going through those cycles until I feel like I can't ask the question any deeper. Yeah. Kind of like being like a five-year-old. Like keep keep feeling the ways of wonder. It's like uh, this is going to be a horrible joke. It's like figuring out what a woman's actually mad about. <laughs> she's going to tell you she's mad at you. You're going to ask her what it's really about. Then she's going to tell you it's you and your friends. Then you're going to ask her what it's really about. You're going to do that a few times until y- she finally tells you it's the fact that Jared didn't say hi back when he said <laughs> hi at the dinner party last week or whatever. You know, it's just you got to ask the question. It gets you to a deeper le- level. You ask a new question. It gets you to a deeper level. You repeat that over and over again until you're at a level so basic you can't get any deeper. Well, this all speaks to mindset, I think, too. And yeah, um, this reminds me of this book, Extreme Ownership, which was written by a former Navy SEAL. We're thinking like every decision or every every outcome you played some role in yeah and so you know what what was your you know you're you're accountable for every everything that happens to you for the most part there are obviously uh random 
there is brand awareness, but for the most part, the environment around it, you control a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what could you have done differently if something goes wrong, or if something goes right, you know, what contrib what that you did contributed to that. And I think thinking through it that way, you know, uh, for me, I I've tried to embody that mindset, and it's you're much more positive, you're much happier, and then you also realize you stop blaming people for oh things yeah. that are going wrong in your life. Oh you're yeah. like, okay, well, what did I do that could have caused some of that? That's hilarious. It's like uh, you you can go out on the ocean in a boat, and the water's going to push you. Mm-hmm. You put a sail on that boat, now you're being pushed by the water behind the sail. Without the sail, water dictates your life. With the sail, you dictate your life just like the wind. Okay. It's like uh, this morning, I had a, I have a good example <laughs> from my own life. I was driving to work, and something that was rather mean went through my tire. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my tire then lost all of its air pressure and decided that the rim is a good place to ride on. <laughs> mm. So I had to pull over to the side of the road. I could have at that point decided I'm not going to work today. I'm going to sit at home and be all sad about how I'm not making money because my tire popped. Instead, I came into work late because I took the time to do what I needed to do to make my vehicle safe to drive again and then came into work. The, the water in this metaphor was what put a hole in my nap. I <laughs> a hole in my nap, put a uh, nail through my tire, whatever it was that put that hole. But in this metaphor, the sale was my decision to go to the store, buy a new tire end because mine didn't fit, go back to my car, change my tire, and come into work anyways. Mm-hmm. It life will always influence your life, but your influence will always be greater than your life. I don't really have much to say after that, but I, I, I think that's that's exactly the mindset that we're trying to foster at HSW. I think we have a, a lot of guys that think that way. And, I mean, you see the results, and that's why we, we are – we've built this company where we're primarily a problem solver because we have people like you and Fred and Peter, yeah. and, and I could just go down the list of pretty much everyone at the company. And – you know, we don't like to s- when so when a customer comes to us with a challenge, we don't like to say no. Uh, we do sometimes because sometimes it, you know the best win is saying no because you save yourself a lot of pain and uh, hardship. But I'm gonna think do a product that I won't state that would have been better than saying no. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it's it's that mindset of how can we figure out a way through this, and um, I think you know you explained how you did that, and that's 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 nice. And well, it's not nice, but I mean it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, hey, it's free milk. I'm still here at work. And we really appreciate that. I mean, it, that's what I think. I think it's not just it, – it says a lot about you, not just obviously the, the paycheck's nice. and um, But, it, it, you know, you learn a lot about people, like you said, in situations like that. I um, feel like I've been learning a lot about myself since I've been here. Well, I was going to – I was I was curious, you know, so you've been in the workplace now, you know, about six months. Um you know, it's a pretty stark transition from, especially high school, but being out in, in the, the, I guess, the real world, um, what's that transition been like, and what do you, you just said you've learned a lot about yourself, what, talk about that a little bit. I feel like the transition for me is not what it would be for, this will sound bad, the typical person, because I just, I feel like my mindset lends it to seem like it's not good enough. Because obviously the first few days, the first week working here was a little weird, but I was still at my mom's house. Mm -hmm. 
the second week was like, okay, I kind of know what's going on. I can at least figure my way about. And I moved out on my own. So it was less that fear was weird and more that where I was living was weird. <laughs> Did that in a few weeks while I was living uh, in a camper. And then I got myself an apartment. And honestly, working here didn't feel like a big transition to me because I spent, since I was 15, 16, I don't know, 16, something around there, I didn't work anywhere. Mm-hmm. Which is not a big deal. I was a perfect you know, teacher at least back then, at least on prior to, for two, two and a half years, something like that. And then at school I was doing theme. So it's kind of like just the mentality I had at work for the time I was at school has changed. Uh, <laughs> which is fine. I'm not sure that's better than that. But anyways, uh, the mentality I had at work at for the time I was at school, but doing the things I was doing in both fields. Mm-hmm. So it didn't seem like a big deal to me. Yeah. The biggest deal to me was I was broken at work. After three or four weeks that working for me again. I uh, I'm I don't drive an hour. I drive about <laughs> thirty minutes, but I don't it's know. closer to forty coming in from that little traffic I have towards my house. Yeah, you don't want to tell me you're a little uh, heavy on the pedals here. You're just kind of like going uh, through that. <laughs> yeah, just over hey. joke. Yeah, we'll we'll keep that off the record. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I think it's obviously that uh, it's a transitional period. But again, it's it's just how you face it, and um, you know we're super glad, we're super happy. I think it's been all three of you guys, Anthony, you know, Jaden, and um, Connor. I think have been. It's been that's a different path for us taking. um, I mean, when uh, Anthony started, he was 17. (laughs) So, so uh, Dana wasn't too thrilled with me about that, but we got through it. Um, But it's been a different path. But I think it it shows like you guys have understood the basics, had a good work ethic, and um, you know, obviously, like you don't come into this business with, um, you know, when you're 18 years old and be a senior machinist right away but if you have the right work ethic you know pretty quickly you can get on to some of the the some of the stuff and then it, you gradually work your way up which yeah. is exactly what you've been doing right now the way i see it i'm just trying to earn the respect of the other people in the shop because it does not matter what i can and cannot do without the respect i'm not going to do anything well you and i have had a lot of conversations about that right and i think i, I seeing your growth i've been there trying been to go that direction yeah and i i think you have and i it's all about exactly what you said. You can know everything in the world, but you've got to earn that, that respect. And, yeah. you know, when guys have been doing this for 30 or 40 years, it's understandable that the bar is pretty high, right? So. Yeah, but also on the same token, it, give me a good hit because it's going to assume that I know less. <laughs> Honestly, is part of how society is utilized. Well, a lot of the guys have have kids who can almost be your parents and stuff. Yeah. So, like, you know, they're, I, I, it's not – it's understandable, I guess. Yeah. I mean, something I really have to put a lot of effort into not letting it get to my head is I've been realizing more and more what I'm capable of that people my age just simply aren't. And honestly, these questions, since I have some time to prepare for them, have kind of helped me realize that I think the reason why I'm in a place that I can't see anybody else my age in is because of my mindset. I've been working for, I dealt with 
depression, anxiety, to a point that I had to see a therapist for a while. I dealt with that for eight, nine years. Depression, anxiety, I had I've had thoughts that are frowned upon and now in schools there are things that people try to do to try to help. And I don't know really what caused it. It's kind of one of those near beginning of they were like, I can't put a finger on it, but I'm glad it happened. Yeah. <laughs> About two years ago I just started really focusing on trying to fix my mentality because something made me realize that if I ever wanted to be not depressed and anxious constantly all the time, I had to change something inside me. Mm. If I change something inside me, apparently the rest of the world magically changes with it. <laughs> I know it's really, 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 really hard to grasp. But I mean, I doubt there's anyone listening to this because it's mostly made for the company. If there's anyone out there who needs somebody to tell them it is real, that um, it is. I mean, something that shocks me to see is that one of your questions is about how positive I am. And I just don't see myself in that light. I don't see myself as a positive person. My whole life I've been the negative Nancy who is so negative nobody wants to be around me. So for me, it's a, it's a real big deal that people see me positive, but also on the same token, the fact that I've made that transition is the reason I am the person I am today and why I am so good at machining my memories and why I'm so punctual despite uh, many incidents that I've had <laughs> coming into work and things like that. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's really impactful. And, and you know, it's interesting hearing how you processed it. And, and that, again, goes to something that I've been trying to work on myself, which is just – and this is where I think positivity comes from, just the realization that – you control the way you approach every situation and what you yeah. think about it. You, you know, you can wake up, you know, everyone at HFW and, and in most of the world, especially the, wor the, the trades and the industrial world, wakes up early, right? Oh, yeah. And so you can wake up, you're like, oh, I hate that I have to wake up early. <laughs> I hate that. Well, and it, or you can wake up and be like, you know what? My life's pretty good. I get paid well. Um, you know, if you work in a shop, mostly get Fridays off. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's just I, I think it's, and obviously, like actually, my it's it's funny because my girlfriend and I were talking about this, because um, she's going through exams uh, at the end of the semester of school, so not a fun period of time, no. and we were having this conversation. It's not like anyone wakes up and says, "Oh boy, I can't wait to take an exam," <laughs> uh, but you can control your mindset, especially her. She's a phenomenal student. You know, that's a great opportunity to show, um, show off what what you can do and. You know, it, I thought it was stupid uh, when I was in, in like middle school and high school. Some teachers would call tests like a celebration of celebrations of knowledge, which is a little bit of a <laughs> euphemism. But you know, it really is. It's all about how you approach it. If you if you go into something or you approach something negatively, chances are you're going to come out of it and think negatively. About it. But if you go in and you have a positive mindset, it just completely transforms the whole oh. way your whole experience and and your really your whole day. And I mean, it's been. I can totally relate. Um, I've been fortunate. I haven't gone through, uh, had a ton of anxiety or depression, but um, just completely changing your mindset and how you approach something and what you think of something, um, it makes your quality of life so much better. Yeah, I'd say so. Because, like, I mean, I'll be honest. 
most mornings I wake up before work, I'm like, it is so early, <laughs> I don't want to get up. Oh, I'm not saying I don't feel that more. way, but but you you, you have to change, you have to flip the switch pretty quick. Every morning that I wake up, I'm like, I do not want to go in, and then I'm like, <sighs> and then I get up, <laughs> and I get ready, and I come in, and then I get here, and I'm like, cool, what what am I working on today? I'm ready, I'm excited. Well, it's it's funny because we have I have the same question you got right here. What what does get you out of bed in the morning? What gets you excited? What do you look forward to when you wake up in the morning? What gets me out of the bed in the morning is honestly my ideal future, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I've known since I was a little kid that that I've wanted that I want to have some kids. Mm-hmm. But I've realized for a long time that if I want to have kids and not be like all the other fucked up parents I've seen and not fuck up in the way that they're bad parents, but they just they can't provide as much as they want to or they can't provide as much as they need to or they or anything like that. The most common thing I've noticed is they just had kids before they were financially stable enough to take care of themselves, let alone another person. Mm-hmm. So my thing that gets me up and to work every morning is that I want to I want to work really hard for first few years of my career so then I have set up myself pretty well and I won't have to work as hard in the future and I'll be financially stable and maybe hopefully financially stable enough to take care of the kids and be able to take some more free time than I would now so then I can have more time to spend with my kids and then I have enough money for myself my hopefully wife and children to all be comfortable enough to work and have kids yeah I actually have had very similar thoughts. I feel like they're in popular society. I feel like it's it's common to just see people talking about like really enjoying your twenties, which I don't disagree with. But I also think your twenties are a time to um, work your tail off a little bit and go oh hard yeah. in your twenties before you have kids. Um, assuming you you know have you have let's say you have a kid around thirty. I guess that's the assumption. You don't have a kid super young. Um, or, or even just before, you know, if you have a kid at 25, yeah. just I, I think that period of time, you're healthy. Um, you can get up. You can work weird hours, right? You're, mm-hmm. You know, as you get older, it gets a lot harder to do both from a health thing. You can go longer hours. Yeah, yeah, and you can go longer. I, I'm the same way. I just feel like I'm just trying to go as hard as I can before I have kids so that I do have the time to be there with them. I, I, was, I was definitely – I I guess I kind of gave it away there. I'm not really – I'm trying not to have kids until probably at least 30 or so. It sounds like you're a little ahead of where I am in terms of thinking about that. I was not thinking about kids when I was 18 years old. You're I thinking about having kids when you're 18. Oh, you're, you're 12. I, I'm still not really <laughs> thinking about kids. So you've got me beat. But, I mean, I think that's that, that long-term mindset, too. I think that that's helpful, too, when the day-to-day can be a grind, thinking about the bigger picture of what you're doing at the moment for the that's kids. That's what's gotten me by since seventh grade this year is thinking about what I'm going to do with my adult life. I've been planning for my adult life almost as long as I can remember, which is why when it happened, I wasn't focused on the transition. I was focused on getting done what I wanted to get done. If I focus on a transition, what's that going to do for me? Mm-hmm. If I focus on working, that's actually going to do something. If I focus on what I can do on my weekends to make sure I have my chores done or to make some extra cash or to keep my relationship good, that's doing something for me. Mm-hmm. But thinking about how weird and wacky it is that I'm an adult now, that's <laughs> actually important. Most people I'm – every person that I went to school with that I keep in contact with just talks about how they don't want to think about their how they're an adult now or 
stuck in gateway. That means you're going to be struggling just as much in five years as you are right now if you're just focused on how your back is being set. When instead, you can work as hard as you think you are capable of now. And then when you end up working harder than you think you're capable of, you're going to be proud of yourself. You do that for a few years, and then five years down the road, you all of a sudden don't have to work as hard because you've built something for yourself. I see it that way because I've done so much looking into uh, investing and putting away money for saving and stuff like that. And the one consistent is that time is more powerful than money. You put away a little bit of money, and when you're 18, it is going to be worth far more than if you put away a little bit when you're 30. Most people, they don't start thinking about it until they're 30. And then they get screwed, and they struggle their whole life just because they start caring too late. Mm-hmm. If I start caring now, and I work my booty off for a few years, maybe I might have done just enough to make it so I don't have to work as hard. I don't think maybe. I think I mean with this mindset, I don't think it's a maybe. I think it's. I mean, you don't want to be complacent, but I think with that with that mindset and what you're thinking and the things that you're thinking through as an 18 year old, I mean, you have a very bright future. Something that's stuck with me for many years. I don't even remember where I first heard it, but somewhere I heard somebody say that your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits, and your habits become your persona. And I looked at my habits at that time, and I did not like them. So I knew I had to start with my thoughts. And it took me years to get to where I am now, and I'm not where I want to be. But I'm happier than I was. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is a win. Um, I mean, hey, I'm in a company that I'm proud to work for right now. That, for me, is a win. Most people, in general, not even my age, hate their day-to-day life and are just repressing the fact that they honestly don't want to work anymore. That is the current American stigma. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things to unpack right there. The majority of people in the American workforce are depressed or anxious or both, and all studies done in America on the workforce show that most people are on the path that ends to them falling asleep by the time they're 25 or being found in their house in a way that their parents didn't want them to be. Well, I think that, not to be quite that dark, but I, I, I think <laughs> what Sorry, I have this noticed. This is where my mentality comes from. Well, because no, but I think it's a, it, you bring up the point where most people, like work is just a, it gets them something, right? It gets yeah. you, it buys you the life that you want. It, it allows you to do certain things, and that's good, but I don't know. Fundamentally, I just think it's wrong that so many people are subjected to a work environment they don't like and working with people that they wouldn't hang out with outside of work. And not that, you know, you should be buddy-buddy with everyone, but I just think that, like, one of my goals, really my, my primary goal is, and I, and I think we're I think we're doing some good things toward this, is to build the most people-centric manufacturer where people come to work and they're satisfied by what they do. They're not beaten down by a boss they hate. Um, you know, the workday isn't grueling. People aren't being subjected to crazy things that are unsafe. And uh, it, it really builds something where you can build the career that you want. So if you want to rise up to be like the top machinist or an engineer or, um, you know, whatever it is, or a manager, or, you know, whatever that path is, 
um, to allow you to do it. Or if you just you know want to be you want a comfortable career that's reliable, provide that too. And I think HFW's been, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I, I think has has provided that well for most, if not all, of the 75 year history of this company's been here. Um, but I can just say like hearing you say that is 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 validation of I think what we're trying to build here, which is this company that really focused on our people. We've always been, I think we've always done a good job in terms of, uh, I think the pay and the benefits are always, have always been good. Um, we try to, as best we can, to be industry leading. Um, it's a constant, that's a constantly evolving game. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast. But I, I think now it's tapping into some of that emotional side too and keeping you, pe keeping people emotionally content and, um, you know, playing into that, I guess the state, the, the psychological safety and all that's a term that's thrown around a lot. Um, I don't know. I, I just am very committed to being, uh, building this company where you can come and have an engaging and a rewarding career. Because I think it's such a shame. Like, I understand that, you know, not everyone's working their dream job, right? Like, a lot of people when they were kids, you know, dreamt of being an athlete or an actor or something like, you know, something that's kind of unrealistic to most people but at the same time i don't think you have th that doesn't mean okay so you're not an actor but that doesn't mean you have to work a dead-end job that you hate your whole life i i, I think that's why um you know I, and, and i think what we do here is cool too right it's not like we're you know everyone's sitting in you know just a, a hive of cubicles all day or, you know i think it's a pretty engaging dynamic it's cool what we do and we're trying to explain what the work we do is used for um, I, I don't know. I, I so I'm gonna end my diatribe now, but <laughs> I think that you just really kind of hit on something that's like a core value of mine is building a rewarding workplace where you don't feel like um you're all working for nothing or you know your life's kind of miserable. The way I see it, it it's a uh, it's a conflict that you need to balance. I'm going to reference a stand-up comedian I was watching over the weekend. <laughs> I don't remember who he was. All I remember is he's born mainly in China, fully Chinese, and he left and did yoga and studied science. And uh, he was talking to his father at some point about how he wants to do a job that he loves and he's passionate about. And his job was not very approving of his – his father was not very approving of his job because it was stand-up comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and – well, I'm not going to try to sound bad, but the way the comedian put it is his father wanted him to do stereotypical things like being a doctor. Yeah. And the way his father put it was, no, you don't go to work to do what you love. You go to work to do what you hate, to get money, to use to do what you love. Mm. And that's yeah. just how it was for centuries. That's how it was since hunter-gatherer days. You spent a certain period of time during the day doing enough, especially during hunter-gatherer days, enough really challenging work to earn your ability to live for that day. And only then did you get to go back to your tribe and live, do something that you liked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe you liked what you did, but they didn't care if you did it or not. Well, I think you have to – it's interesting because, like, we look at, like, the hunter-gatherer days and now even, even less developed countries, if you want to call them that today – you have to take care of basic essentials, right? And so yeah. that might require doing things that you don't necessarily want to do. 
but now we're, we're in a place in an amazing country like the United States where you, you know, the basic, even, even for people that are in poverty or near poverty, um, a lot of people still have, most people still have access to the basic essentials. So then you're kind of moving up the hierarchy of what's important for humans. And I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think we've moved beyond that. It doesn't have to be, I just question the assumption that, you know, work has to be a place that's associated with bad things. I don't think it has to be. And like my goal, I love this company, obviously. My goal is to make everyone that works here love this company. And if you don't, I, I'm not personally offended. I know not everyone likes the company or loves the company they work for. My goal is to help people get there. And I know not ev everyone's a fit, right? It, people find their own niche. It, it might not be a fit. Cause I mean, that I'm not saying that every person, it, we're not building a cult here. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just think there's something to that point that, um, you know, if you find meaning in what you're doing, it makes your life so much more valuable. Definitely. Um, so a couple closing questions just real quick. As a younger guy, I'm curious what excites you about HSW. What, you know, you, you made the decision to come here. Um, what is it about the company that we're doing well and, and that um, that drove your decision to, to be here? And, and what do you like about it now? I'd say big reason why I came here. It was very different from what I did in Boise's, mm -hmm. but the same area that includes Boise's. Big reason why I'm here still is there's just so many learning opportunities. And I'm learning res reasonably quickly. I've always been that way since I've been taught it. But the fact that the higher ups than me, my managers, kind of force me to slow down in a way, I think is <laughs> good for me because it allows me to digest a little bit more than I <laughs> normally do. And I'm learning a lot. Since I have to slow down, I spend longer on each step. So while there's not more steps, it feels like there's more. And I most days feel like I'm learning. Obviously, I l as an example, I've been doing prints. Uh, I, I'm pretty good at them. They're simple in my eyes. And I can get them done pretty reliably. I haven't messed up one yet. And there's going to be a different result today. Knock <laughs> on wood. <laughs> I can turn that to slow down. There's always going to be a day, but anyways, uh, obviously, if I'm doing nothing, I can be learning much more, but there's always something. Like, most of my work around journal, so I hold it, so I do my work markers for the web. But not too long ago, I got really excited to be at the center port. That was a completely different game. I thought it was going to be really, really easy, and it's going to be just like the other ones, and oh boy, it, it just wasn't. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, was exciting, because while it was frustrating, and it took longer than it should have, and we lost a little bit of money on that step. I learned a lot. That to me is exciting. It's a new challenge. And I'm not doing rolls every day. There's days where I do something new. That to me is new and exciting and a challenge. That for me is what keeps me here. I like I like feeling like I'm progressing. Kind of kind of like a video game how you go up in levels. In the machinist world, as we go up in levels through complexity of parts, difficulty of machine, and just the number of tools. Last thing I got, and then if you have anything else to add, I'll, I'll let you do that as well. Uh, can you give a shout out to someone at HSW that you think is doing great work or has helped you a lot and, and deserves some recognition? I mean, there's a lot of people here doing great work. Uh, one, 
person I've been paying attention to since I started here is Brandon, the guy who runs shipping with Ember Yoga. Mm. He busts his butt every day. I've seen him come in looking sick, and he still runs the Ember. He stresses himself out a lot, and still he is just busting his booty. He works really hard, something I've admired. Another one is Zelko. Obviously, everyone knows he's worked like a donkey here and a lot by his own choice. <laughs> but something I really appreciate is I think he's, I think he likes me because oftentimes he'll just come up to look at what I'm working on and ask me questions or give his suggestions on how he would recommend to do it. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't get bothered by me going up to him while he's working on something and just asking questions or just watching him or having him explain to me what's going on. And if I need help finding something, a lot of times I'll go and ask Zelko if it has to do with raids. And he's always very happy to help me find something. There was one day I was on 196 for a long time because Pete was gone and Fred and Mike didn't have anything for me. So I made a three-quarter standard wooden wrench. And he went out of his way to help me find a sanding wheel for it because I didn't know how to make it stuff like that, and it means a lot to me, because he doesn't have to take the time, but he goes out of his way to help me. There's a lot of people like that here. That's awesome. I mean, just to touch on those two guys, Zelko, I mean, he's why we're, he, he's the one of the reasons we first got into uh, going to the BOCES program, was because trying to f- replace um, that knowledge, you, you know, Zelko's, Zel- you got Z- guys like Zelko and Fred. I mean, those two Mark guys Zach. have almost 100 years. Yeah, Mark Zach. I mean, we could go down. Rich Hender. Like, we could keep Lunds. going. Bob Lunds. I'm just saying. Like, all those guys that are, um, you know, senior machinists or grinders or thermal squares have so much knowledge. And, you know, a guy like Zelko has been doing this since oh, yeah. probably before he was 18 even. Um, that when that knowledge – when he, you know – I mean, trust me, he has earned his retirement. But trying to, like, trying to replace that knowledge is, I mean, you're not going to be able to do it, but it's how, you know, it's how much can you, you know, we have someone like you learn from him before he retires. That was one of the big, that's why we're trying to get so many young guys in here now. And it's, uh, it's, you know, up front when we have a lot of young guys that aren't necessarily being super productive right up front, it's tough. You kind of just have to swallow it and and keep going. But um, the whole reason for doing that is to, have to get you guys some exposure to a guy like him who mm-hmm. just I mean talk about just a, a, an expert and just a craftsman I mean that's that's what he is and, and, yeah. and trying to I guess replace that I mean like I said you're not going to be able to do it but no. um, if, if we can at least have young guys like yourself and like Anthony and like Connor and like uh, Andrew and, and a, a bunch of others learn from a guy like him mm-hmm. it's going to be helpful to everyone you know Oh yeah, and then Brandon, I got a Brandon's a hustler man, and, and oh. um, you know obviously where where we sit with machining and grinding and, and even thermal spray, where you know it's a very th- there's so much skill and precision needed. I think it's it's very easy to overlook something like shipping, right? Because it's not necessarily like you don't go to school for shipping normally, oh, yeah. right? You go to school for machining or grinding or thermal spray obviously engineering but shipping like 
those guys touch 100% of the things that come in and go out oh, of there. That's, well, let's put it this way. Without Brandon, none of us would put our first show. <laughs> exactly, because <laughs> everything relies on on Brandon, on Ronnie, and, and mm-hmm. Jacob, obviously, uh, running the department there. So um, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I'm really appreciate that you brought it him up because Brandon is a hustler too and, and and Ronnie too learning obviously he's newer so he's learning the the ropes a little bit but um I think it's again very easy to overlook something that's maybe not necessarily a core operation right they're usually not getting yeah. paid to make a box but um not only do they touch every part but you know if something goes wrong man like that can screw up the whole job so it's a very important role mm-hmm. and uh yeah there's certain job. parts that if Brandon made a really, really small mistake on, we could at least point to it. Yeah, at least. Easily. At, at least. And I feel like that's that's a big deal. That's an important job. And most people don't see the role that Brandon is doing there. If if somebody was to see him outside of work and all he told them, the only thing he told them was like, make boxes for shipping, they wouldn't say it, but they would think, whoa, wait a second. Well, but if they knew that every day he touches hundreds of thousands of dollars of parts yeah. and profit, they'd be like, wow, that's a big deal. No, it's it, because it, when you say, you know, there's a lot of different boxes. A pizza box is a lot different than the boxes yeah. that we're making here, right? So yeah. these are all custom, well, for the most part, are custom boxes that, yeah, are holding parts that are anywhere from, you know, a couple thousand dollars to yeah, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big responsibility, especially as a younger guy. And, um, for you know, in... in um, Brandon's been here, uh, you know, less than a year, and already he's just shown so much promise, and he's a hardworking guy. Um, yeah, he has that right can-do attitude. Uh, yeah, he like I think you mentioned it too. You you rarely ever see him sitting still, and yeah. we really appreciate the hard work. So I'm I'm glad you brought <laughs> brought two uh, great guys on. So thank you. Obviously, they're not the only people, but I think between the two of them they do a really good job of encompassing what makes the kind of person that we should be shopping at here because plenty of people in the company that could do that well they're both great representations of the jfw and i, I appreciate that man so thanks for that all right so we, we've gone on for a little bit of time here almost an hour uh i'm gonna <coughs> let you get back to work because i'm distracting you but before we do that anything else you'd like to close with I think we've had enough conversations <laughs> about this podcast that I'm not a big fan of it. <laughs> That's all right. I think this is a this is a great conversation. Uh, went down some avenues I wasn't expecting to go down, but I think that was great and really impactful conversation. I really appreciate it. That happens a lot. <laughs> well, hey, Jaden, I appreciate this. I appreciate you. You're, you're you are a tremendous addition to our team, and uh, we love having you here. So thank you. Of course, thank you.